Kaysen. Hey, Brian. What's your update this week? Okay, this is hard for me. I'm going to just start by saying that. This is, and I added this late, so late I, don't to the know, game. I don't know if you've seen what my update is. I'm unaware. Okay, so I am going to start owning my successes differently. Exciting. And I'm committed to it. Do you want to know why? Yes. Well, I have some exciting news. I made the National Honor Society based on my grades from the last uh, year and a half. I didn't know they had that in college. They have that in college. And master's college. And master's college. (laughs) And this this higher learning (laughs) we're doing. So they have it for juniors, seniors, and graduates. And I, you know, I've maintained a good GPA for the last year and a half. Um, But that was really surprising. And what it showed me, and I have this tendency, and I don't plan to like put this away ever, but I have this tendency to like overthink the people that have supported me along my journey here Mm -hmm. in every journey I've been on. And that support is still very much appreciated, but I have a tendency to then not acknowledge the work I've also done in the process of being supported. That's fair. I understand that. Right. Yeah. So I. But also you're the only person that has done what you've done (laughs) to be a student at school here today. That's, that's true. Like, yes, your professor may have like helped (laughs) given you some guidance or like edits to your paper, but like you did the work. Well, and that's what I need to remember is that like I did the work and I had a lot of help some days. I had no help other days, whether I took it or didn't take it, whatever it was. But, like, the only person that was going to be able to turn in that paper was me, and it had to be completed, and I wanted it to be completed to, like, the best of my ability. And so that produced pretty good grades over the last year and a half. And so when I got that notice that I had been eligible and, like, could join if I wanted to join, I was like, okay, you need to acknowledge that you've done a lot of work here and it wasn't always easy and you didn't do it alone, but you certainly did a lot of it. And so that's my update is that I want- The majority. The majority. (laughs) I'm getting better. (laughs) All of it. (laughs) I did so much It's everybody else's job to support you. (laughs) Just bottom line. It's just what what I have. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just this moment where we're like, okay, I need to take a step back and just say, like, I do a lot of team effort stuff. And, like, the work that I do full time is very much a team effort most of the time. But, like, I did a lot of this work myself. And so I need to, like, acknowledge that and be proud of this accomplishment and, like, give myself some credit. And that's really hard to do. So then, you know, my next move is like, why is that so hard to do? (laughs) Like, I'm not going to dive into that on this update, but I might... Something to start exploring. Exactly. Because there's a, I think there's probably a reason that I don't, I really have a tendency to not give myself any credit for the work that I do. Um, And I'm sure that Anne can help me figure that out. (laughs) But still, the fact that you're acknowledging this and celebrating this moment is a really big deal yeah you should be excited about that thank you there's many more to come i'm yes i feel good about that and i believe you and you did it (laughs) and i did it so that's my update i love owning success and i'm gonna work on that like that little like question that i can't figure out how to give myself the credit that i think sometimes i deserve (laughs) i think maybe and sometimes but not all the time (laughs) 
that's my update. What is your update, Brom? Uh, it I think it fits nicely into what you just shared. Um, we talked about habits in a recent episode, and I stumbled on a tip from TEDx, their newsletter that they share. Um, ideas worth spreading. Ooh, yeah. So good. We'll link to this in show notes at queenspeaking.com slash 105. What? Mm. Um, but to celebrate small wins Ooh. when we're shifting our behaviors helps to solidify them. Ah, that does go so nicely together. Did you know? So how does that work? You legitimately congratulate yourself or cheer after you do a positive thing. Hmm. I get on the honor roll. Check me out. Victory. I'm awesome. Yay me. (laughs) That's what you've got to do. But they talked about uh, how things sometimes don't go our way. But when we do uh, have a rough day, there are moments where we can celebrate an achievement, even if it's something as simple as, like, I floss my teeth before bed. Mm-hmm. And so in order to make things a routine as we start to build habits, it was interesting to think about how meaningful it is of just, like, you know, that moment, if we're going to continue the flossing example like they did in the article, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I did a thing that's really good mm-hmm. and it's good for me everything else maybe s-h-i-t <laughs> <laughs> right at this moment but i did it so. and to sell it into like genuinely i think that's the thing is like when i say yay me i'm being like very sarcastic but like when you genuinely celebrate a thing yeah. when you acknowledge it and say like i'm excited i did this i feel really good that i did this thing that's, I feel like, when it sticks, right? Yeah. And that helps it actually, like, and you remember what that good feeling was. It kind of wipes away some other, like, failures you may have had in the day. I like that. And you know I love a, uh, a mini celebration whenever I can get it. So. Yeah, and, and do whatever feels natural to you in, like, the scenario in which you'd be celebrating something. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, it's a fist bump where I'm like, oh, yes! Mine's cake every time. I don't know if that's... uh, That's not what they talked about. I I think... (laughs) (laughs) Have a big piece of cake every time What is an action? Like a a vocal action Uh, or a physical action to be like, go me. I like a high five. Yeah, high five yourself. I like it, but I feel like I'd have to find someone else to high five because I don't want to be the loser that high fives myself. Right? We're g- you need to read this article. We'll- I'm going to read it and find an appropriate way to celebrate. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't involve cake. So Well, that's great. I'm excited to read that and figure out what my thing is that will help me, like, solidify the small wins and, like, again, acknowledge them and feel them in my bones. It's a great thing. Cool, cool. Uh, all right, Brian. What are we talking about today? Give it to me straight. Well, we've talked about this before around the negative ramifications of striving for perfection. I know it too well. Uh, So we wanted to dig into exploring how to break the perfection streak and aim for what New York Times Smarter Living has referred to as a mostly fine decision. Mm. Um, I recently read an article uh, that they had shared in their newsletter uh, around this specific topic, and it gets into us like getting comfortable with many mistakes and failures and all of that surprisingly helps us to be more successful in the work we do. Mm. And so pulling away from having to deliver like 100% the best work to something that's good, achieves the goal, but isn't 
like flag the colors. Mo- the most refined version of a thing because sometimes decisions, uh, us trying to deliver beyond expectation, we get lost in the weeds. For sure. And so we want to talk through what that looks like. I'm excited about this one because I don't think I strive for perfection, but I like recognize myself in some of these, some of the specifics that are mentioned in this article. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, Let's get into it. What are we starting with? What is getting in our way? (laughs) (laughs) Big thing to start with. (laughs) So we mentioned that striving for perfection is often a struggle point here. Um, And if we focus solely on endlessly improving our work, it gets in the way of us actually doing the work. So true. Which saying that out loud slash reading it on a page when I read the article was like, oh, yikes. Yeah. But it's so easy to do. Yeah. Right. Because you're like, how can I make this the best version of a thing that I want to make it be? Right. And then you're like six hours into it and all you've done is written your name on the page well and especially if you don't have like a thing to work off of right like if someone's assigned you a task and you don't have a template for that task i sometimes just get caught with like i want it to be perfect so they could trust me with creating a thing and instead of just like starting it i want it to be so impressive when in reality no one gave me anything to work off of except for like here's like the bones and like get to work right and i feel like for Uh, for people who live in this like wanting to deliver a perfect product realm I think the thing that tends to be helpful is like say framing the thing that you're sharing with whether it's your manager you know a project you're working on like hey I did this with this in mind Mm -hmm. like kind of framing the delivery I like that like these are the these are the things that I thought about when I created this document or some kind of supporting evidence some context just to say you know or even just saying like this is the first time I've done this I'd love your feedback and being open to knowing that this might not be perfect work and setting yourself up for feedback in a productive way versus you're not delivering something perfect and then you're just going to endlessly like sit and beat yourself up over that right 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 right. uh what falls into this category as well uh imposter syndrome we know so well we don't believe that we're qualified or deserve to be where we are so we push harder than necessary to deliver on what's asked of us while still not thinking it's our best work which ends up being a vicious cycle. That's, like, detrimental to your insides, I feel like. It really, like, messes with your brain. And oh, yeah. And there's such a strong push-pull there that it's how how do you get out of the cycle, you know? I feel like someone's got to literally yank you out of it. Well, and it, it all has a lot of ramifications, too, for, like, your self-esteem, your confidence. For sure. Your how you deliver on things and it's annoying you you get in your head yeah yeah and i feel like for the people that believe in you and know that you can do good work and have done good work it almost starts to like nag a little bit to be like gosh i've told them that they're doing a great job a million times like how do like how do how are we back here (laughs) how are we doing this again and recognizing that it's something that a lot of people suffer with but like how do we then recognize that something's not clicking or something's not happening and help that person like push out of that you know that cycle that they get caught aggressively in yeah and I think with this we have to sit in like if you're living in this world it's 
an act on your own. It takes such immense hard work for you to acknowledge when you're doing all of these things. For sure. Because once you acknowledge how often it's happening, then you can just, a, a lot of times it's just like, oh, stop doing that thing. Right, right. And it's so easy to say that out loud, but the act of acknowledging and then not doing to not feel mm-hmm. like you're in this terrible, vicious cycle of like, low self-esteem and not being able to deliver great work. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's a work in progress. It is. And I wonder going back to that thing where we talked about um, like habit building mechanisms mm-hmm. and like what friction is we can add or what friction we can take away for something like this. I know it's a little trickier. It's not like, you know, sleeping in your gym clothes or something like that, but like, <laughs> which is very straightforward, but something like this, I, I do wonder like, what is the friction there? Like, is there something missing or something that's present that we could really intentionally think about adding or subtracting from the picture yeah. that allows us to push through that cycle? This is like the, the bad habit or I shouldn't say that where I the was habit like, we'd like to stop the habit we'd like to stop <laughs> where the acknowledgement piece of it is important where you snap the rubber band on your wrist exactly to like bring you into the present moment again be like what did I just do because a lot of this imposter syndrome vibe also pairs with rumination and you're mm-hmm. like in your head and you're focused and you're trying to figure out a solution it's like hey guess what you can't control everything. Right. The thing happened. Right. You can't go back and undo it. Mm-hmm. You can just do things differently moving forward. Exactly. And that's so hard. That's so hard. But is is a necessary thing if we want to figure out how to do this differently. Uh, I think about fear of embarrassment mm-hmm. with like what like what's getting in the way of this practice, and. Um, I think about how wanting to be perfect also means not wanting to look stupid. Like we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. And Mm -hmm. I do think that's, I was thinking about this in terms of like imposter syndrome and I do think they're different because I think imposter syndrome is like what we talked about, the cycle that you get into. I think fear of embarrassment is like, you're truly like, how do I do so much on the front end that no one will like think anything differently about me than I am just, I've got it. I am smart. I've got it together. And like a huge trigger for me in the past has always been like someone thinking I'm not smart Mm -hmm. or I don't know what I'm doing, even if I believe that I do. And so like fear of embarrassment in this context, I think is more just like really making sure we're showing someone we know what we're doing versus not actually believing that we know how to do it at all. Oh yeah. And there's like a rigidity to Mm -hmm. that where you lose the like the ability to kind of nestle into a moment and mm-hmm. like if you do say something dumb or I shouldn't say that. Something that like makes us feel dumb. Something that makes <laughs> you feel dumb or isn't relevant or not the right context for the scenario you're in. Mm-hmm. You can play that off right? and just be like, oops, didn't know that information or ask questions. Like exactly. I think like walking yourself out of that moment and being like, what can I do? I know I don't know everything. Right. What questions can I ask at the upfront? Right. To make to like sure. set the stage a little bit. And yeah. to show that like you're thinking about the avenues that could be that they could be going down and trying to be thoughtful about those without doing so much work before you do the thing to try to answer those questions that 
it's very possible you will not have answers to until you get in front of the room and ask those questions. Yeah. So, and I think about like, I've seen people do presentations and there's like typos on their pages and stuff like that. And I know sitting in the audience, I'm not like, that person's an idiot. Like, that's not what's running through my brain. I'm like, ooh, that's unfortunate because, you know, nobody likes a typo. But I'm not thinking that they're like a dumbass or anything like that. Right. And I think we need to remember, someone reminded me this recently, like everybody in the room is rooting for you. So, like, no one is is hoping you fail. I mean, for the most part. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. But I think that hope that kind of can combat that fear of embarrassment is remembering, like, who are we doing this work for? Are they hoping we fail? The answer is usually no. And hoping that that kind of, like, overturns that fear of embarrassment. Love it. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, how do we combat those impulses? <laughs> I think a counter to perfection is to focus on the progress instead. You said this to me. Progress. Wait. Practice makes progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Uh, I think we, so we talked about this in our habits episode that it's not necessarily about completing the thing. It's repeating it and automating it and like making these things a system for us where like we can take all the the guesswork out of the easy things because we routined them and that it opens up so much opportunity for us. Yes, I just made routined. That's a word. (laughs) Should not be phrased in that way. Did you quote around it? Routined. (laughs) So uh, I think there's a way for us to um, get a little bit more comfortable in the unknown because everything else that's structured and like has to be done is just we've got it we're on the train and then we have the ability to let new inputs come in yes you know i love an automation moment um but i think it doesn't have to be done right 100 percent the first time we're learning we're progressing it's okay for a thing not to be pristine yeah and i think when someone edits our work or asks a follow-up question it's not them saying you're doing bad right or you're doing poorly it's making our work stronger for the next time around because the reality is we're all even like your manager is still learning like they may be learning how do i best give feedback right to this individual um so it's kind of like getting comfortable with acknowledging that we're all kind of in this like phase of fluidity Mm -hmm. together for sure um and I think for anyone to assume you'd do something 100% the first time uh, is basically setting misleading expectations. That's such a scary thing to think about, too. And you know those people are out there, for sure. I mean, we've oh, yeah. seen Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> we know it exists. But I just think, like, just being able to do your best at something and then getting that feedback, that should be the process. That should be how things are done, both from the manager perspective and from the, like, I hate the word subordinate, but that's what we always use in school for some reason. I hate that word. But the person that works for the manager. <laughs> the managee. The managee. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, I totally agree with that. I don't know why someone would operate on the level that like having it right perfectly the first time or like even fully together the first time just doesn't make any sense. Right. And it also assumes that like the learning process isn't necessary Mm -hmm. true and i hate that because you know lifelong learner but 
for someone to say that that's not important just feels like a not nice work environment. Yeah. So I think that's where um, I love this theory. I have adopted this in my own life from the Smarter Living uh, article that I read. Again, we'll include this in show notes so y'all can look back to it. But they called it a mostly fine decision. And so I I have to like live this and embrace this. But it's what you'd accept as quality or complete work rather than a perfect outcome. Right. Quality, complete work. That's what we're remembering. Boom. That's what we're taking away. Remember it, live it, absorb it. That's so true, though. Like, how much better does that feel? It's not anxiety-inducing. It doesn't make me sweat, like, out of all of my orifices. You're like, oh, someone asked me to do this thing. I did this thing. Right. Here you go. <laughs> and It's like, mostly fine. <laughs> my physical being is like, that's wrong. But my, and that's why, like, so I was reading this. I know you're going to get to this. But maximizers, isn't maximizing it's one of, one of my strengths? <laughs> As I was reading the article, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) It's my number two, I think. Two or three. Um, So they referenced this in the article, and I was like, oh, hey. Did it hurt your heart a little bit? (laughs) But they talk about the difference between maximizers and satisfiers. I don't know if that's actually like a strengths-based I don't think it is, but that's like what I was thinking. But these two are like, it's very good descriptors of what the work is. And so maximizers hunt for and explore every possible scenario. You just said that with so much conviction too. You and And your fist. (laughs) (laughs) But satisfiers make quick decisions, often with less information at hand. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. Uh, They say in the article that rather than looking at tasks, projects, or decisions as items that must be completed, you slice them into the smallest possible units of progress and then knock them down one at a time. Yeah. And that strategy relieves the pressure of thinking we need a perfect plan before we begin something. And so even just thinking about living in the space where you're like making quick decisions with less information you're agile you're flexible you're working with what you have and and you can pivot when you need to and so i think in that realm something that you can ask yourself is what's step one and not doing the big thing Mm -hmm. but instead open the document and then go from there yeah and breaking it down into incremental tasks and deliver on what each of those things is i think ends up making it a less terrifying thing like someone hands you like write the tps report you're like oh what you're like awesome Ah." (laughs) but it's like okay what do i need to do this is the thing that was asked of me but in order for me to do this what's the information that i need and then you bullet down all the things to like kind of piece it together for sure and then you're like i have everything that is needs to be in here Mm -hmm. and then like shape it and that's and refine it. I think that's like where I get so stuck is that like I know that I'm avoiding something when I like constantly just go back to my phone like six times in the matter of like two minutes because whatever I know I need to be working on but feels overwhelming because I have not chunked it out yet. All I'm thinking of is like that's super overwhelming and I really don't want to do all of that right now. But, you know, and then you're looking at the watch like, well, I only have like 15 minutes before my next meeting. So I guess I'll just hang out here for... <laughs> <laughs> 15. When, if you do ask yourself what's step one, 
you're like, oh, all I need to do is just like, you know, start start the email. And you just need to pop someone's email right yeah. in there in the, in the sender. I like to break things up too, like for a big thing that's like new and hard. Yeah. I like to not do it all at one time either. Mm. Like I'll break it up into like manageable chunks where I'm like, I'm just going to start and see how far I get and then have time blocked to finish it. Yeah. Because I think sometimes the like big chunk of just getting all the ideas on the page and then removing yourself from the project and the space and like focusing on something else allows your brain to like reset. You've brain dumped or information dumped into whatever document you're creating, for example. Um, And then you leave it and your brain absorbs all that information that you've put in that document. You're focused on something else. And then when you come back to it, sometimes you have the problem solved. Right. Instead of just like sitting there and racking your brain trying to like staring at it (laughs) you're in a moment you're in a place things right now but that's like i think my problem is if we can equate i feel like i think of like my body of work Mm -hmm. i'm always thinking about like what do i have as a human that i can present as my body of work versus and that's for other people right like we know i'm externally motivated so like I'm always thinking about, like, what other people are going to take in from me. So chunking things out in, like, incomplete tasks feels like a trick. It feels like I'm telling myself something that's not true or something. And it just feels like, okay, that's for me. But it should be for me because if I'm not if, – if I can't complete it in small chunks – then, like, I'm never going to get to the end result exactly. for the other people. Yeah. So it needs to be completed in small chunks for me to get to the them. Like, it's the only way you're going to do it. Right. But I'm always so focused on the them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you're going to reel it in. So scary. <laughs> and I need to reel it out. Reel it out. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think about getting comfortable with communicating and change. I know that seems like very obvious when it talks, when we talk about like how you combat those like impulses to do the perfect, per, perfect, the perfect thing. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> so perfect. Um, and I know like, again, this is one of those things that takes practice, but I, I love that mostly fine decision thing. I think that that is, um, that, that visual is really helpful in how we move forward. And so I almost think like getting comfortable with communicating and change can just be like added to that mm-hmm. as a tactic to get closer to the mostly fine decision. Yes. Like how are we getting comfortable with the way that we communicate with the people around us? And this is something, I mean, I've been talking about this nonstop with you, my project management class <laughs> and how great it is. But like, that's one of the things is like getting comfortable with like communicating and not over communicating, but like communicating your needs, understanding like what you're capable of communicating with yourself about like what your capacity is at yeah. some point. And then understanding that like changes will happen throughout the course of a thing and trying your hardest to see that for what it is like in my mind the mostly fine decision pairs with change because you're like at some point in the process you might have to pivot Mm -hmm. and mostly fine means that you're comfortable enough to make that pivot you're comfortable enough with change to like move in a different direction or reprioritize a thing because you know that at the end of the day like to complete the thing quality or complete work 
you're going to have to make a move that you might not be super comfortable with, but we'll get that to the end goal of quality or complete work. And release the control within that. Right. Exactly. And I think communicating through that helps. Yes. Absolutely. Because you're like, oh, if this shifts and the timeline changes or the way that we deliver this work or the way that you write your paper, you're like, has to change. All of it does. Mix it up. Yeah. And finally, leaning on your Square Squad and your personal board of directors and or I think is another great way. You know, I'm, I'm a community-based person. I like, I obviously like to ask for help. <laughs> I'm uh, probably too good at it sometimes. But remembering who those people are that are in your corner and reminding you like a mostly fine decision is, is good enough. And mm-hmm. sometimes good enough is where we want to be. So we don't go freaking crazy. And it's a less stressful place to live. Yes. But it takes some work to get there. It does, because I think the real breaking of the habit is the expectation that we think others have. And breaking that is going to take not only our own internal work, but like having other people remind us of what their expectation is and that we don't expect people to be perfect. So if you're on the receiving end of someone you know is working on a thing, like having that conversation to remind them what the the expectation is quality and complete work Yeah. at the end of the day, I think for most people. And so how do we work through that in a way that allows people to actually feel that? Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's another thing that's going to take so much freaking practice. <laughs> so much practice. And sometimes you just have to say, I'm done for today. I'll pick it back up tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow's a fresh start. It's another day. What is it? What did I say? That one, what was that thing? <laughs> I know exactly what you you're talking about. You know what I'm about. talking about. Oh, it was just like, it was like an added word to a phrase. Today's, today is a day that hasn't been touched. Today's a day that hasn't been touched. Today's a new day that hasn't been touched. And so like, I think having that mentality at some point is like, okay, like you said, I can put this down. Today's a new day that hasn't been touched. I will start again. And or I'll pick up where we left off. And sometimes your sleep time will refresh your brain and you will have problem solved everything you need. 1,000%. In your night nighttime sleeps. Yeah. And there's a time. I mean, I feel like in college we used to think that like all-nighters and stuff like that would be super helpful. And sometimes they were. Like sometimes, you know, I got it done because I stayed up all night to get it done. And that was the only option. But now, like in this play adult world that we think we live in, I feel like remembering that like eating a good meal going to bed early like giving giving ourselves space drinking away, a glass of water right from taking the thing, a breather taking right. a walk yes all of those things are going to be so much more helpful than like drilling ourselves to the bone to f- solve the problem that will continue to feel unsolvable until we give our brains a break yeah so that's what we got and with that let us know what you're working on if you think that this mostly fine decision approach is reasonable because i'm a huge fan of new york times smarter living and i think i think they nailed it i think they did too i'm feeling it i'm working on it let us know what you're working on at queen underscore speaking Mm -hmm. shall we break let's break 